Welcome to Star Wars Rant Podcast. This is episode 20. Thanks for coming along. I'm your host, Brian Seddon, and with me tonight is Brian North. What's up, Brian? Greets. Greets. He's taking the greets from Chad because, unfortunately, uh, Chad Viss is not here tonight. He's uh, feeling a little bit under the weather, so he is um, not with us. So we'll, uh, we'll soldier on. I think Brian... This is our first episode that we've done together alone without uh, anybody else since our very first one. Right, and it's also our 20th episode here at Star Wars Rant Podcast. Correct, so that's another milestone. We did take a week off uh, last week, so um, back at it though this week, so we're excited about that. Um, A lot going on in the uh, Star Wars universe um, a lot of rogue one stuff going on um, we'll talk about rebels too and then also a little bit about episode eight and then whatever else um, whatever else we bring to the table so um, let's go ahead and just jump into it let's jump into the news what's going on what's going on what's going on buddy so brian uh you were you we, you were we were talking about this a little bit a few minutes ago uh before we jumped on but there's a new comic book coming out, um, and uh, it's about our favorite character from the prequels. I would think most people's favorite character, one of them. Um, when I say character, I mean villain, and that would be Darth Maul. Um, so a new Darth Maul comic book is coming out. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit of an article from Brian Truitt. A Darth Maul comic book is being unleashed on Star Wars fans in the new year. Though the fan favorite Sith Apprentice is more leashed than you've ever seen him. So the comic's going to be written by Cullen Bunn, um, and it's drawn by Luke Ross. It's a five-issue Marvel Comics miniseries, and uh, it's going to debut in February. So it takes a look at the tattooed villain's younger days before his short-lived apprentice, I'm sorry, short-lived appearance in the 1999 prequel, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. On tap for the warrior, lots of rage, and need to take revenge against the Jedi and problems taking orders. So a little more about the comic. It finds Maul, an untested warrior, under the training of Darth Sidious, who we all know is Brian. Emperor Palpatine. There we go. A little, little slow on the uh, the answer there. <laughs> I uh, thought it was a trick question. It was not a trick <laughs> question. Um, so who obviously would later become the Galactic Emperor. Emperor Palpatine told to stand down. No. <laughs> told to stand down from engaging with Jedi. Yet Maul hunts down the worst of the worst in the cosmic underworld to vent his frustration. After learning a young Jedi Padawan named Eldra, 
I cannot pronounce the last name, Cadis, has fallen into the hands of a crime lord, Maul seizes an opportunity to, to test his skills against a real Jedi, but also maybe turn someone else to the dark side. Have you heard of that Jedi before? Eldra? Uh, I've never heard Cadis? I've never heard of that. Yeah, Neither I've never heard I. of that Jedi. We'll so. have to look them up, see if um, maybe they've they've been in uh, some previous comics or some storytelling before. Um, so the writer Bun is melding versions of Maul audiences have seen into one from the attack dog mentality of the character played by Ray Park in Phantom Menace before he was sliced in half by Obi-Wan Kenobi's lightsaber and fell down a shaft to his apparent doom to the cunning Maul seen in the Clone Wars and Rebels animated series. Um, so it says Bun took a lot of inspiration from the big mall fight scene of Phantom Menace where Obi-Wan and his Jedi master Qui-Gon Jinn almost uh, meditatively wait for their encounter while Maul paces. Um, he says, I like seating where the Emperor, I'm sorry, he says, I like seating where that impatience and anger comes from. I think that's a typo and it should say I like seeing where the impatience and anger comes from, he says. says, Eldra is a protagonist who has a huge impact on Maul's life going forward. Bun also promises interactions between Maul and Sidious that look at how Sidious relates to his apprentice. He's not a very warm teacher. Go figure. Um, so Bun says he finds the fine line between devoted to the dark side or the light fascinating in the struggle between Sith and Jedi. So a big part of the story is Darth Maul's descent to the dark side and almost being tempted away from it. So there you go. Comes out in February. Um, kind of disappointing. It's only a five-book uh, series. But um, but either way, it's, it's a, welcome, uh, a welcome book to the comics. So. Right, and I think it's a great way to show the origin of Maul. Um, I was even talking to somebody who is a Star Wars fan, but not really into, you know, every little bit of it. They keep up with the movies, but not any of the books or animated series. So I just started rambling on about Maul and how great I think of a character he is. And in his mind, all he saw was what he saw in episode one. So, but I think people are really missing out on such a great character that, you know, the Clone Wars and Rebels has brought, has brought to you know to the different aspects of that character and growing on the story but showing a comic book uh to uh to show the origin is very cool i think and just seeing i think we'll finally get to f see his story start to finish um you know from his origins all the way up till most likely you know if i was a betting man we would f see his his ultimate demise the real the real one this time in rebels yeah, yeah, you would think it would happen in Rebels, and it, it does say something about the character that um, they chose to bring him back in the Clone Wars. Um, so you know, it's, I'd be interested to find out how many people don't actually even know that he survived that. You know, in the Phantom Menace when he was cut in half. So, uh, but that, again, that's a testament to the character. A lot of people loved him. He was a fan favorite, and um, kudos to. To the people at Star Wars for understanding that and bringing him back, and uh, hopefully, um, hopefully it's a good story in the comic books as far as his origin, and then as well as um, if the Rebels is his last, uh, uh, you know, go at it that uh, he goes out with a bang. So um, hopefully by Obi Wan Kenobi. Um, right. So we'll see. That's if that what I'm crossing my fingers for. Yeah, yeah I mean, rematch. that's, it has to be, it has to be that way. I think there'll be a lot of disappointment if it's not. So, um, so we'll see, 
But um, either way, like I said, uh, good news for the comic book fans. Um, all right, Star Wars Rebels. We did not get to talk about episode um, seven because uh, we weren't uh, we didn't do a podcast last week, and um, and luckily there was no Rebels this week, so so it's still relevant. Um, so episode seven uh, was Imperial Super Commandos, um, and it was um, directed by Stuart Lee. And it was written by Christopher Yost, and it aired on November 5th. So, Brian, did you get to catch it at all? Yeah, I watched it the first weekend that it came out. Um, Okay. So I'll give a quick rundown of what the story was about, um, and then we'll just talk about it briefly. So Sabine continues to try to convince uh, Fenra, who um, they captured in, I think it was episode, I'm sorry, in season two. Um, She can continues to try to convince him to have his protectors formally join the rebellion, but Fen remains staunchly loyal to Mandalore. When contact with the protectors is lost, Sabine, Ezra, and Chopper are sent with Fen to investigate. So they, um, the planet um, that, they were, uh, that they were going to is um, the protectors allow the rebels to have safe passage um, through, and... Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the planet. Uh, Concord Dawn is the name of the planet. And um, they lost contact with this planet. And so they send uh, Sabine, Ezra, and Chopper and Fenn to see why they lost contact. So, however, when they arrive, they find that the Protector's base completely destroyed after they destroyed Imperial Probe Droid, a squad of Imperial Mandalorians led by Gar Saxon arrived to investigate. Um, so Gar Saxon is from the Clone Wars series. Ezra and Chopper are captured while Sabine and Fen manage to escape. While spying on Gar, Fen realizes that the Emperor that the Empire intended to destroy him and the Protectors all along, and he decides to join forces with Sabine. Sabine rescues Ezra and Chopper, but Fen seemingly betrays them when he takes their shuttle and escapes without them. Gar explains how Sabine's defection to the Rebellion caused disgrace to her family, who have now pledged their allegiance to the Empire. Sabine, Ezra, and Chopper try to flee from Gar and his men, and are assisted by Fen, who helps them escape, but not before Sabine defeats Gar in hand-to-hand combat. Fen, impresses, Fen, impressed by Sabine's loyalty to the Rebellion and her friends, decides to officially join the Rebellion. So, um... That's a quick rundown. I think some of the big parts of that uh, storyline was um, found out that Sabine's mother is still alive and that she's looking for Sabine and um, that her family has joined the Empire. And then also, again, that Fen Rao is now a uh, with the Rebellion, so they got another Mandalorian. Um, kind of my big takeaways from there. And she got a jetpack. Um it got destroyed or uh, shot, so I'm assuming she's going to fix that. But now she has a jetpack. So, what did you think about the episode, Brian? Um, I thought it was cool. Um, one of my favorite Star Wars video games. Uh, shout out to Chad since he's not here tonight. Uh, but was the uh, video game Bounty Hunter, um, which was a Jango Fett kind of running missions in an underground Coruscant, which I always thought was a very cool storyline. Uh, but I think the Mandalorian side of things, the history of the Mandalorians is kind of a really cool um, 
nook in Star Wars, uh, like mythology of like the Mandalorian Wars and all that. I mean, it's talked about, but not a lot of people know about it. Um, and I just think it would be, I think anytime that they bring the Mandalorians in, I just think it's kind of cool. Um, you know, hopefully, you know, I'm kind of crossing my fingers. I'm not sold on this Han Solo movie yet. I think I've said that in past podcasts, but hopefully, um, if they're going to bring Lando and you might as well bring in the whole crew and have an appearance of Boba Fett. Um, so if, if you do bring in Boba Fett, I would love to see, you know, that dynamic of him maybe searching into the, his man, his father's Mandalorian ways and and adapting them onto his own and, and seeing where that character grows. So, I mean, that's a that's an avenue of a storyline that they can go, but I'm glad that they are including that type of mythology into canon and into Rebels. Yeah, so, um, <clears throat> excuse me. So for me, the, you know, it was, a, it was a good episode. I think what we're getting is a lot of um, storylines for, like, the, you know, the background characters. Obviously, Ezra is the main character of Rebels. Um, followed closely probably by Kanan, but, you know, we got to see, um, you know, a background episode for Zeb, we got to see one for, um, Hera pretty recently here, got to see one for Rex, um, in the battle with the droids, you know, the conclusion of the, uh, Clone Wars as they right, called it. it was kind of like a cl- conclusion episode for him. Right, and then, um, and then now, you know, another one for Sabine, so, um, so a little background there, and, um, I think going forward, we'll, we'll jump back into the Ezra storyline, um, and Kanan storyline. So that'll be welcome because I, I think a lot of people are anxious for that because that seems to really, really move the story along. But, um, you know, back to this, the Mandalorian deal. So these were Mandalorians who are now serving the empire. Um, but you know, it was kind of funny because uh, Ezra makes a comment saying that, uh, in effect, he doesn't understand the whole Mandalorian thing. And I think that was um, a shout out to the fans because there's a lot of fans, including myself, that don't completely understand the history of the Mandalorians and who they all are. You know, there's a lot of confusion around Boba Fett and is he a Mandalorian? Is he not? Um, was he just wearing Mandalorian armor, you know, or was he actually a Mandalorian? Um, and maybe we'll jump into that, um, at some point, but you know, I don't, I don't think it's, uh, everyone's not in agreement on if he is a Mandalorian or not. So, um, but anyways, pretty interesting and yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see in the Han Solo movie if they address any of that or not. So, um, so Star Wars Rebels season three is still moving right along and um and i did want to bring this up and i kind of mentioned it a minute ago but you know uh b-nob you mentioned a couple weeks ago that uh you know you were more interested in the story of ezra and seeing where that storyline goes so a quick uh a quick story here says um star wars rebel season three is all set to give enthusiasm as it has plenty of surprises up its sleeve. So Star Wars Rebels focuses on the story of Ezra, voiced by Taylor Gray. The first two seasons focused on how he embarked on a new journey into a new world. This season, fans are finally getting themselves acquainted with his role. As he is becoming more capable of his skills, he is gradually becoming stronger and continues to search his personal identity. 
While doing so, Star Wars Rebels shows that he falls into the trap as he finds himself struggling on the dark side. Producer Dave Filoni maintained that as the episodes progress, fans will experience the veiled side of Ezra, which we have been, which have been held back. He said, you think, oh, I'm getting more powerful. You don't realize you're kind of getting enslaved to that power and the idea of power and control. So Ezra's got the quick and easy answers, and the challenge for him is he's had success applying those things to the betterment of the team, and even... And even the team like Zeb is kind of like, yeah, Ezra has saved us again. So you get this feeling that he's using it for good, but that doesn't always work out in the end. So the next episode is Iron Squad, and it says um, it's going to show the uh, it's going to show a group of young pilots who um, will appear face to face with the Ghost Crew. Um, we'll also see Thrawn, um, but I think it's also going to kick off the story of Ezra again. Um, and get more in depth on that. So that'll be welcomed, I think. Any right, questions? So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hopefully we see more Maul in the next episode. Um, I know we saw a trailer of in that trailer that they showed a few weeks back, probably about a month ago. Um, Ezra kind of taking a whack at him. Um, yeah. So I'm interested in seeing more Maul. Um, so let's see, see the like you said, just we're following the Ezra storyline and so people and I kinda just curious to see how um how Ezra's gonna fit in in the big picture of the Star Wars canon. I think he has a big part in it, but I just I don't know where he what his purpose is yet, what his destiny is. So um, you know, we'll see. I'm still uh hanging on to the uh, Darth Vader secret apprentice from the Force Unleashed. Um yeah, we'll see if that pans out. So, so, um, so we know the ep- next episode is Iron Squadron, the episode, and that's going to come out um, November nineteenth. The next episode um, is November twenty sixth, and it's called the Wine Kuntu Job. So, cannot pronounce that W Y N K A H T H U. And I actually looked it up on Google. Can't find any info on that, so it doesn't really. Uh, it seems like it doesn't really have a history in Star Wars yet. Um, whatever that word is. Um, and then the next episode after that is called an inside man. And then you would think Maul would somehow be involved in this next episode, um, episode 11, cause it's called visions and voices. Um, so anyway, that's a glimpse of some things to come, um, on star Wars rebels. So on to rogue one. Um, a lot of anticipation for Rogue One coming up. Um, the new book is out, which we'll talk in uh, Searching the Archives, Star Wars Catalyst, um, which is the prequel to Rogue One. Um, but there was a couple of things that came out um, over the last two weeks. One is, um, I think it was Verizon did a virtual reality one of those deals where you like have it with your Samsung Galaxy phone or whatever you have and you you know if you got the little goggles that you put over your head it's a virtual reality deal but you can find it on Facebook you can find it on YouTube it's called uh, Rogue One Recon and basically it's a um, it's a uh, a short little prelude to Rogue One um, so I'm going to read a little description about it, and then I'm going to play some the audio from it in case you haven't been able to check it out. But um, 
says ILM lab created an experience that puts in that puts in the cockpit with a scout pilot who's happened upon some serious trouble in what's supposed to be an empty system. After picking up some Imperial chatter, our pilot plots a jump and runs headfirst into a fleet of Star Destroyers and the Death Star. Thing is, our intrepid pilots don't even know what the Death Star is at this point, beyond calling it a space station, which is an understatement uh, bigger than the Death Star itself. It's not long before TIE fighters show up and begin punishing the pilots for their curiosity, and though some of our pilots' last words are asking for confirmation that the scans have been transmitted to Yavin so that Mon Matha... Uh, would know that they found ultimately he's overpowered and the ship goes up in flames. So um, this uh, again, this is a prelude to um, to Rogue One. So I'm going to play the audio. Here we go. system is supposed to be empty. I wonder what they're doing out here. <sighs> Something's not right. I think we should go in and have a closer look. Let's take some scans. Roger. We get in, we get out. Agreed. Plotting the jump in three, two, one. What's the Empire doing out here? What's that? A space station. It's too big to be a space station. Watch your tail! Fighters coming in! Redirect engine power to shield! Switch your deflectors on! Do we have confirmation? Did Yavin receive? There's too many ships! Alright. So there you have it. Um, it's a cool thing. You gotta check it out. But apparently then that would be the first time the Rebels see the Death Star. And, um, and you know, they would have sent that to Mon Mothma and Yavin. And that's how they know about the space station, one of the ways. So um, so pretty cool. I would check it out. If you Google it, I'm sure you can find it. Rogue One Recon, a Star Wars 360 experience. You can even, if you don't have the VR deal, you can still move the camera around. And, you know, it's like you're looking around in the cockpit. And uh, so kind of cool. So check it out. Um, and then also another video came out. Um it's a Rogue One featurette, and it reveals Jyn Erso, how Jyn Erso and K2SO, along with um, Cassian, infiltrate the Death Star. So you can actually see it in the um, deal. They're wearing, um, Cassian's wearing a, uh, an Imperial uniform. Um, K2SO, as we know, it was a former K or was a former Imperial droid, so he uh, wears his uh, disguise all the time. Um, and then uh, Jyn Erso is wearing a um, 
an outfit that you see in the trailers, but um, it's an Imperial ground crew member. And I didn't know this, but there is a, um, a toy that was released um, from Hasbro, an Imperial ground crew member. And when you took off the helmet, it actually was Jyn Erso um, under the helmet. So um, I'm going to play the featurette. Um, before I do, uh, you know, there actually was another trailer that came out. It was an international trailer. And Brian, did you get to see that at all? Yeah, I saw the international trailer. I thought it was okay. uh, got me pumped. <laughs> yeah, so it was good. Um, we'll put it up on the Facebook page. But, um, you know, I won't play audio from that. As, as audio goes, I don't know if there was a whole lot of uh, new audio. There were some new images. One image that I thought was cool was it showed another scene of um, uh, kind of like a side profile view of Darth Vader. And you could really see like the red lenses um, on his mask, which I thought was cool. Um, but that, that was something that kind of stuck out with me on that. Um, but anyway, this featurette, um, probably a lot of people haven't seen this. So I'll play the audio for you. It's two minutes. Uh, but it uh, so it's gives a it's a little bit from the movie, but then also it's the actors talking about the uh, the movie as well. So let's give it a listen. If I'd known since I was four that I was going to be shooting a Star Wars film, I would have planned it all my life. This film, this character, this story I grew up with. It's a whole world I've been thinking about for quite a long time. You can feel everyone in the crew in the cast kind of stops and just takes that in and you remember, oh, we're actually in Star Wars. It's like the world's greatest toy set. It's a bit like being that kid again <laughs> with Star Wars figures. Stormtroopers over here and then this happens, there's an explosion. It's been a lot of fun. It's the greatest job in the world. Rogue One takes place very close to episode four. The simplest way to explain it is that text you see at the beginning of A New Hope. That is essentially our movie. They call it the Death Star. Terrible weapon. But there's a way to defeat it. Jin's starting to put together a team. She wants to fight. We all do. How many do we need? It is an ensemble movie, but at the heart of it is a strong woman. The time to fight is now! Every day, they grow stronger. All these characters are real heroes that are willing to risk everything. Light the place up and make ten men feel like a hundred. Through their journey, we see the formation of the Rebel Alliance and the stealing of the Death Star plans. Anyone not willing to risk being left behind? That is a bad idea. Hey. Quiet. They achieve what they achieve because they achieve it together. This is Rogue One. All right, there you go. Um, <clears throat> so, again, we'll post that on the Facebook page, too. But I thought that was um, – it's a pretty cool little featurette, so – um, you see some new shots that you haven't seen in the trailers. Um, so let me ask you this, Brian, uh, your thoughts on this. There's there's one scene that's shown in the trailers um, where it's you see Krennic, you see the back of Krennic, and then you see, you know, there's kind of like some fog or smoke or whatever in the air. But Vader comes walking towards him, and he's walking at a very brisk pace. 
and um, obviously you can't see his uh, facial expressions because he wears a mask, but he, he doesn't look, he doesn't appear to be happy. Um, my thoughts... Does he? I could not tell. <laughs> my, my thoughts on that scene is I almost feel like that's probably where Krennic meets his end. Um, that's probably where Krennic gets his neck snapped. Yeah, well, so yeah, would it be, would he use the force and do it that way, or do we get to see, you know, that might be our only opportunity to see a lightsaber in the movie. Um, but yeah, you would figure, you would figure it'd be the force. That's kind of his style when he takes someone out for failure. Ah, yeah, he just, yeah, it's either he's choking guys with his bare hands, which that's the first time that we've ever, when we see him attack the uh, rebel ship in a new hope, he just picks that guy up and just chokes him out. Yep. Um, and then it wasn't until Empire Strikes Back that he just sits in his little incubate incubation tank and you know chokes guys out over video <laughs> over video <laughs> messaging he right. facetimes the guys just to choke them out <laughs> uh so. so yeah if vader ever facetimes you don't answer it so right. it's probably not Choked a good idea um but anyway I, bad news for him they're like hey you yeah. come up here give me the bad news <laughs> just just hang up quickly <laughs> um yeah, but I uh, every time I see that scene, I just I just imagine um, Krennic trying to explain something, you know, why they failed, and then that's it. He's gone. He's dead. So we'll see. It'll be interesting to see if we're right or wrong, but I didn't know if you felt the same way whenever you see that scene or not. Oh, yeah. Krennic is definitely uh, – Krennic is going cra- uh, to get cracked in that, uh, <laughs> that scene. Um, so I don't really like Clint Krennic. I don't like the actor who plays him. I'm like – He's the kind of guy that you just like. You want his neck cracked, so. Yeah, well, so um, we'll see how he's portrayed in the movie. But you know, uh, moving on to searching the archives. Worthy of recognition in the archives of the Jedi Order. The advantage of old archive data. Perhaps the archives are incomplete. If an item does not appear in our records, it does not exist. Bring me the archive data. Uh, the new book, Rogue One Catalyst, came out, which is a prequel novel to Rogue One. And, um, Brian, you've not gotten to read any of this yet, right? No, I, I don't okay. read. <laughs> so I don't have time to sit there and read a book. So I did I did get the digital copy from Amazon, but I also paid the extra $11 to get the uh, the Audible or the audio copy. Um, and actually I've been listening to it, um, pretty much the last two days. I think I got seven hours left to go, but, um, because I already know so much about star Wars anyway, it was no problem for me just to kind of look up and see how it ends anyway. Um, cause ultimately we know more or less what happens, but, um, so, uh, but I'm still listening to it. There are some things that, uh, that are interesting through the book, but, um, what I want to do is just give a quick uh, a quick overview of the book, and I'm going to use a great article from Catherine uh, Trenacosta um, that she wrote about the book. I think it ex- it's written very well and explains it very well without giving away too many spoilers. But I think at one, um, I, I'd like to maybe get, since you don't read, Brian, maybe get with Chad one day when he gets better and maybe even do an entire episode on Catalyst because there is a lot that... Um, 
that is uh, in the book that is interesting, and if you're a fan of Star Wars, that you'll appreciate. But if you're not a huge fan, you probably could care less. So um, I'm not going to point all that out today, um, but maybe that's a special Chad and I can get done at some point. So anyway, everything you need to know from the Rogue One prequel novel before you see the movie. So here we go. Um, Catalyst is mostly the story of scientist Galen Erso um, and Imperial Officer Orson Krennic and their relationship to the building of the Death Star. And again, this is written by Catherine Trenacosta, so I'm just going to read it as she wrote it. She says, to be honest, if it weren't a Star Wars book, Catalyst wouldn't be worth reading. So I think that's um, obvious. If you're not a Star Wars fan, why are you reading a Star Wars book? So um, it's really the depth it gives to the characters we're only glimpsed it's really the depth it gives to the characters we've only glimpsed in trailers that makes the book interesting. Although, again, if you're dying to know how the Emperor and Director Krennic got the Death Star built, this book will give you all those details. So, she says, other than the last entry in this list, nothing here should actually spoil the story. That said, if you don't want to know anything about the book. Um, so, I will not read the biggest spoiler. Um, again, once if we do the Catalyst uh podcast with chad then we'll talk about that so some background on the earth shows a lot of this book is dedicated to exploring the parents of rogue one's main character um jen Urso. her dad is galen and he's a genius scientist whose entire personality is roughly socially awkward man who cannot stop sciencing uh, his specialty is in generating power through the use of certain crystals kyber crystals and he is so famous among scientists that everyone recognizes his work immediately. Uh, so some background on Galen Erso. Galen Erso was born in a poor neighborhood on the planet Grange. He was recognized as a prodigy early on in his schooling, and he ended up in the Futures program on Brental, which sponsored brilliant children in their study. Galen did so well there, he made it to the Institute of Applied Science on Coruscant, the capital of the Republic. Galen's not a fan of getting involved in politics and refuses to do any weapons research. So during the Clone Wars, he leaves Coruscant and takes a job working for a neutral, boring company on the planet Vault, where, uh, where he focuses on building a source of clean, cheap energy for the universe. But it's very easy to get Galen so caught up in his work he doesn't notice things, and his planets, the planet he's on joins the Separatists. On the opposite side of the spectrum is Galen's wife, Lyra Urso, where he's a scientist obsessed with theory. She's much more down to earth. Uh, when they met, her job was assessing the impact of proposed plans on a planet's environment, and she's been to a lot of planets as a surveyor. Lyra is also one of those people who worships the Force without being a Jedi. She believes in it and in the power of nature and living things. Her whole deal is roughly rough-and-tumble space hippie. Um, so the timeline of this book is a little confusing, but it seems like Jin is born a few years before Revenge of the Sith and the Annihilation of the Jedi. She's mostly a background character in the book, a rambunctious child running around. Catalyst heavily implies that the necklace we saw her mom give her in the Rogue One tra trailer is simply one her mother bought on Coruscant and not one of the many kyber crystals her father was studying. Um... So, did you see that in the trailer before I go on where she was yeah, – that was in the was international reading, I trailer. I was reading online. Oh, yeah, I was reading online that everybody thinks it's some sort of kyber crystal. I think it is a kyber crystal, and I think, I think I'm think i to the part where she's referring to where in the book 
um, basically these, uh, um, I don't know what you call them. It's it basically the, the uh, same thing as a guy in New York opening up his jacket, selling watches out of his jacket. It's kind of the same thing happened to her. Um, and it's this necklace. Um, and it, it infers basically that you, that it's this one. Um, but again, I haven't, haven't gotten any further with it to see, you know, if that's what it is or not. But I mean, the thing looks like a kyber crystal. So here's the deal a little bit more about, um, Galen Urso from the book. He's, he's, he's trying to find clean energy to, um, be able to go to a planet and provide power to that planet, right? That is in need. And, um, but he's using kyber or, uh, um, was synthetic synthetic kyber crystals to to try to do this um he's not using real kyber crystals because they um they are the propriety of basically the the jedi right and he's not going to go to the jedi and just ask for a kyber crystal and get a kyber crystal from them so he's using synthetic kyber crystals um which is which it seems like in the book at least where i'm at so far has been, you know, a problem with him trying to finalize what he's doing with this clean energy. Um, he, it seems like he really needs a, a genuine kyber crystal to do it, or and not just one. I mean, massive amounts of it. So, um, so on to Orson Krennic. We know that Orson Krennic is called Director Krennic in Rogue One, and that might have something to do with the fact that his military rank isn't nearly as impressive. And he has the ambitions to a much grander title. Throughout the book, Krennic dreams of success with the Death Star, netting him the rank of Rear Admiral. It doesn't quite go down that way, and Lieutenant Commander is where his rank stays for most of the book. There is something very ironic in how he makes a joke out of Tarkin's many titles and Catalyst, when by Rogue One he won't be going by his military rank, but by Director of Advanced Weapons Research. An engineer and a designer, Krennic was also in the Futures program where he somehow came in contact with Galen Erso. Galen thinks Krennic is great. Galen is wrong. This is how he has the idea to bring in Galen Erso to help with the station's weapon. This is also keeping in with director Gareth Edwards thinking that this character wasn't upper class but much more working class and got ahead through sheer force of personality and ideas. So Krennic rescues the Galen... I'm sorry... Krennic rescues Galen and his family from Vault and brings them to Coruscant, at which point he reveals just how manipulative he is. He makes sure that Galen's job offers are beneath him before giving him his dream job, being in charge of a facility investigating the clean energy potential of kyber crystals. He, of course, gives Galen's research to others to convert his work into weapons research. He spies on the Urso family, and when Lara and Galen... Uh, mostly Lyra, finally start to realize something's up, Krennic starts making threats. Um, additionally, Krennic came up with a way to strip legacy worlds of their protections against being hollowed out for resources. He has a smuggler deliver weapons. He has the weapons found. The planet has to be investigated. Meanwhile, the mining company implicated in the weapons deal is forced to work for the Empire, and all the materials go to the Death Star project. Unfortunately, for Krennic, in his zeal, he constantly oversteps his authority. Which brings us to the other really important thing about Krennic. He and Tarkin loathe each other. Krennic thinks he should be higher on the totem pole, and Tarkin just doesn't think the upstart has what it takes. They both keep trying to maneuver the other one into trouble, with Tarkin trying to make sure Krennic doesn't end up commanding the Death Star. 
We've seen A New Hope and Grand Moff Tarkin is everywhere and Krennic is nowhere to be seen. So we know how this ends up, but Krennic definitely puts up a good fight. Um, all right, so building the Death Star. The Death Star was in the process of being built long before they had any planet-destroying laser to put in it. We know from the prequels and Clone Wars that the idea of that the idea and plans for a giant space station were initially conceived by the Separatists led by Count Dooku. The plans those two received were passed on to then-Chancellor Palpatine, who put Krennic in charge of completing its construction. And all of this took place before the events of Re Revenge of the Sith. That's how long the Death Star took to build. Its construction started during the Clone Wars. Once Krennic brings Galen to Coruscant to help create the Death Star's laser, again, not that he knows that he's helping with it, Krennic gives him piles of kyber crystals to work on. Based on the size and shape of them, Lyra realizes they are all taken from the lightsabers of fallen Jedi, which bothers her. A giant kyber, which the Jedi seized and hid from the Separatists during the Clone Wars, is used by Galen in his research. Kyber crystals take energy and magnify it, but refract that, it, that amplified energy into all directions, which causes death and destruction. Galen's hypothesis is that he can use the science to direct the energy in the same way Jedi use the Force to do the same with kyber crystals and their lightsabers. He figures out a way to cut the kyber to focus the energy into a beam, but then others try to use Galen's research. They basically reenact Chernobyl, um, but on a much larger, deadlier scale. Galen eventually realizes what's going on, and his family eventually escapes Coruscant, but as we've seen from the trailers, Krennic captures Galen after his escape, and Catalyst reveals that this is because A, Krennic takes it very personally when Galen stops working and leaves, and B, they're still having a lot of trouble deciphering his work and adapting it to the super laser. Krennic staked everything on the Death Star, and he's convinced he needs Galen to complete it. So... I'm not going to go. Um, I'm not going to go on. I think I gave you a lot of detail. It is. It is a good read so far. Um, you get. You do get a lot of detail on how the Death Star was. Uh, Death Star was built. You get to see how manipulative uh, Krennic is. How he gets. Um, how he gets Galen to, to do what he wants without Galen realizing it. Even though Galen's a genius, it's. It's. Uh, he's kind of blinded by his admiration for Krennic. Um, you get to see Krennic manipulate um, uh, the Archduke of the um, Genosans, I think is how you would say that. Um, and uh, ultimately, it's their drones that build the uh, the Death Star. So um, that's kind of where I'm at. It's a good read. I would definitely recommend reading it if you're at all um, pumped or excited about Rogue One. Um, if you're not into reading, like Beanob, then get the audiobook. Um, cause then you don't have to read it. So there you go. Like I said, there's a lot of in and outs. There's a lot more to the story than, than what that mentioned. Um, and, uh, maybe on a future podcast, we could break it down for you a little deeper. So what do you think about that? B knob, any questions? No, but I will say that, um, just so much information that they're giving us about the characters and, uh, you know, I really appreciate them, you know, just, not holding back on any information or any of the lore. They just kind of put it out there uh, for us to enjoy and to, you know, already get to know these characters and their motivations and whatnot even before the movie comes out because I think that just makes the movies much more um, relatable 
and the characters you can connect with the characters a little bit more when you understand their motivations and their thought presses behind the decisions that they make in the movie yeah definitely and then to your point you're kind of you know i don't like krennic you're mostly saying because you didn't like the actor but um but uh you know, when you when you read the book or, you know, you listen to the book, you, you, you do. You get to find more out. You get to find more about that character. Um, and it, it is he is kind of an he kind of reminds me of Thrawn a little bit because Thrawn sees the, the long game and he manip- manipulates people and things like that. Krennic kind of is the same way um, so far from what I've been able to tell. And the other thing that I thought was funny or interesting about the book is uh, so Jen is a. Um, you see the birth of Jen in the book. Um, and then, you know, obviously she's, she's, she grows up to, you know, to an extent, um, you know, when we see the Rogue One trailers and the flashbacks, she's a little girl, but, um, what's funny is Krennic keeps forgetting her name and Galen always has to keep telling him, you know, her name's Jen. Um, you know, so it's kind of funny to think in Rogue One, the same girl, this little girl that he can't remember the name seemingly because she's unimportant to him, um, probably end up costing his life. Uh, you would assume. And his life's work. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, anyway, pretty interesting. Yeah. And you do got Tarkin, um, in the book and, uh, you know, um, and you'll see some other characters that, uh, you're, you're probably familiar with as well. So, that, uh, that wraps up Rogue One Catalyst. Check it out. So, um, let's move on to you, B-Nob. What do you got for us? Well, I'm going to, I'm just going to go in and, and just tell you from just talking to fans, especially older fans, like in your, uh, in your senior citizen group. Um, yeah. Okay. 30, 36 <laughs> is not, uh, I don't qualify. But just older fans, a lot of original trilogy fans and even some younger fans that there's just an excitement around Rogue One right now, um, all of them are saying that you know this 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 has a this has the potential from the trailers of possibly being one of my favorite Star Wars movies of all time. Um, you know, even beating out some of the some of the saga movies. Um, you know, but even if you just watch the movie, you just see so many of these different characters, and uh, like we just said, with all this content coming out, we already are so familiar with these characters and. Just seeing him in the trailers and everything is just a, a a group of people that you would want to fight a war with, you know, you'd want to go to battle with, and you know, just so many unique characters that just come together and 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 serve a purpose and serve not just there just to be there, but serve a purpose to put the story and move the story forward. Um, speaking of characters, they did release, you know, they did release an article. I read an article on SlashFilm.com, uh, which is my usual place to go. I've been checking that site about seven or eight times a day for for a you know a long time almost almost 10 years i would i go on that site every day but they uh they release some um just some description about some of the characters that they have benicio del toro they say he's playing a man in black which is kind of funny to me because uh um that's just such a uh cliche name that they use they use it on that new show Westworld but it's that new Jonathan Nolan show I don't know if you've heard about that um and then obviously uh J.J. Abrams used the man in black also in Lost for the smoke monster that was another name but um they just say that he's dressed in all black attire he's considered dangerous kind of they're leaning on him kind of being a bad guy kind of not being kind of a um a, 
a shady character like Lando Calrissian was. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, he, his character plays out. Obviously, I don't think they'll choose such a big named actor without using him in some more, in some extent, you know, throughout the rest of this saga. The other character is a is an actress named Laura Dern. She's playing kind of an aristocratic, kind of fancy character. Um, this fancy article, pants. right? This article kind of um, gives her kind of that. A capital person from the Hunger Games, kind of a showboaty type person, a little bit of an eccentric character, a little bit of a Fifth Element vibe um, for those Fifth Element fans out there um, that we don't normally see in a Star Wars movie. So it would be interesting to see her somewhere in a political realm, possibly. Uh, but it's interesting to see her. And then the last one is this a- actress named Kelly Marie Tran, um, who's a possible love interest for Finn. Um you know, and they say also she could be kind of a Lando character that kind of stabs Finn in the back. So we see a lot of these new characters coming in in Episode Eight. Obviously, Episode Eight's not really on anybody anybody's radar, really. But what I've just been hearing from fans, you know, it's been a year since The Force Awakens. You know, this time last year we were pumped. It, you know, we were three weeks out. Everybody was going crazy over The Force Awakens and. Now it's a year gone by. You know, how many times do you think you've seen The Force Awakens over the year, Brian? Over this past year? Um, I would say, if you're counting even in, like, the movie, I'd say probably four or five times I've seen it. Right, you've seen it four or five times. And now that it's over, I mean, it's kind of, you know, the same thing that happened with the prequels where, um... You know, after the hype was over, after the dust settles, it's a year now. You've, it's been on DVD for a while. Um, you know, what what is The Force Awakens now looking back? And it was a great, you know, it introduced a lot of great characters like Rey and Finn and Poe and even Kylo Ren and, you know, had a great story. Um, you know, but one of the frustrating things about The Force Awakens was now looking back and even watching it is, you know, seeing them release all this Rogue One stuff and kind of just putting it out there for us just to absorb, you know, I kind of wish that they did that with the with the um, with the Force Awakens when it was coming out. I felt like we get thrown into this thirty years later, and we're kind of still trying to put the pieces together of how everything played out the way that it did. Yeah, well, they did have the the aftermath books, although those weren't. Um those weren't very well received. There was the also the comic, um, the journey to the Force Awakens, which was a lead up. But again, um, not a you know not a whole lot of info um, in in the comics, especially. But so I think they did attempt it. But you know how many people are going to go read the book? How many people are going to read a comic again? Just like the Rogue One deal, I, you know, there's not only the true I wouldn't say true Star Wars fans, but you know. Only Star Wars fans are going to be going and reading this Catalyst book. It's not like, you know, some of our friends are going to go read that. They're just going to go see the movie and then wonder, well, you know, what did this mean or that mean? Well, if you read the the prequel book, then, you you know, you'd probably have a better understanding of it. So, But I do agree. I mean, one of my beefs was uh, there wasn't a lot of world building in, in Force Awakens, um, especially like when those planets blew up, the six planets. You know, there was no emotional attachment to any of those. Um, and you're trying to figure out the political structure. They, they didn't, they didn't really explain that very much in the, in the movie. Um, 
So I get where they're coming from. I think they did attempt to it, but again, a lot of people didn't go and read those books. So, right. And I think that's, that's the two issues that I have is, you know, I kind of felt like, you know, we had closure in revenge and return of the Jedi and then having how things just appear in the force awakens. It's, you know, there's no explanation of why Luke, you know, even went into hiding. You would think if this guy was the last Jedi and this, somebody, you know, if, and if somebody yeah, well, we'll we'll get that like, an, we'll get that answer though in the, in the next movie. Right. So it's still, I, think, I think they're saving that. You know that may be true. I just kind of thinking it as you know, if you, if you're a Jedi and some guy runs rampant all over your your Jedi county and murders people, I, I you know, I, I would think you'd get a little bit of a you know a Liam Neeson and Taken where he just <laughs> wants to hunt the guy down and wipe him out, you know. Well, but that, instead, you know, what's the dark the, side. every time the Jedi's get defeated, all they want to do is go into hiding. You know, it's just yeah. their go-to. Oh, my whole Jedi, you know, my whole Jedi temple and all my students just got massacred. Instead of going and confronting the guy and, and, and taking him out, you know, you go into hiding for who knows how long. You know, waiting for somebody else to just finish the job for you. So... You know, I just think that people's expectations with episode eight and the kind of part that bugs me about them introducing, you know, not just one or two. We're talking four or five new characters in this movie. It's, you know, I barely, you know, I'd rather, you know, them not introduce more characters and more backstories and focus more on, you know, Ben Solo's descent to the dark side and Ray's parentage and Snoke's history rather than introducing new characters. You know, as long as these new characters don't take away from those things, then I'll be excited. Yeah, we'll see where so. it goes. Um, I mean, definitely they got to answer some key questions, which which I think they will. But you know, I for me, I'm a big Luke Skywalker fan, so I hope I hope the majority of the movie is about Luke Skywalker. To be honest with you, um, and still answer the other questions that, that we want answered. So, right. And I think I think that's my hype level right now about Episode Eight. It's not, you know, with the Force Awakens, it was, you know, just give it to me. You know, I'll take it. Um, you know, I'm I'm excited about it. And you know, I, I had you know pretty low expectations for the Force Awakens. You know, hopefully that you know that it was good. I didn't know what 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 to expect when I was going in there. Um, so I you know I kind of just went in there with an open mind. You know, because I dealt with the prequels. You know, growing up, so it was either going to be you know great or it was going to be another prequel yeah but um you know but episode eight i have such like you know i'm going in there expecting to have my questions answered you know and i think that if rain wilson does not rain johnson i'm sorry if rain johnson does not deliver on, on something very unique curveball darth vader revealing himself to be luke's father type moment I think people might be a little disappointed. Well, I think you'll get um, I think you'll get ninety nine percent of your questions answered. Um, you know, there may be one or two that's not, but I, I think mostly you'll get them answered. I mean, just like in you know Empire Strikes Back, you got pretty much all your questions answered in that one. Um, but it may set up a couple more questions for the next movie. Um, but uh, you know, theoretically, you would think ninety-nine percent of your questions are going to be answered in this one. So, fear not, B knob. I think Ryan Johnson will do you proud. Um, you know, 
I still like The Force Awakens. At that point, I was just ready for any Star Wars. You know, give me right. whatever you so got, and I. I'll take it. Um, right. I, I, I was there. <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm still a fan, and uh, you know, it has me anticipating a second one, um, Episode Eight. So I think it did a good job of leaving me, you know, wanting more. So I know everyone's not a big fan of cliffhangers, but it seems like that's the thing to do nowadays. Um, you know is is the cliffhanger deal at the end of a movie so right yeah i don't mind the i don't mind the cliffhanger just don't keep information from me <laughs> you know mm. don't don't have me having to you know i that's like what you said like about the senate and stuff i felt like every time i watch a force awakens i have to explain to somebody who's not that big of a star wars fan than me you know what the political realm of the force awakens is and it just kind of turns them off about yeah. uh about the movie so yeah and you you would think that would have been an easy thing for them just to fit in you know maybe just two people talking about it would have done fine you know but right that would have been sufficient for at least something yeah what are you gonna do all right but here's my question of the day all right let's hear it what what you think and that is in your opinion do you think that they will release any footage or any teasers for episode eight during Rogue One, or do you think that they're just going to focus and let Rogue One have its own day before they start releasing anything new? Um, so it's possible you could get maybe a teaser trailer, although I think they'd probably be already saying that. Um, I do know in Rogue One you're getting the Spider Man trailer which you know who's who's asking for another spider-man movie really me but oh my goodness but anyway um the only reason i could see them doing a teaser trailer for rogue one (laughs) is to help fans that aren't you know huge star wars fans understand that this is not episode eight that you're about to see you know this (laughs) this rogue one a star wars story um, and maybe that'll help them understand that, but cause I guarantee there's going to be people that are going to go to rogue one thinking it's the sequel to force awakens. I, I promise you there's going to be people like that and they're going to be so I, confused. I, I sat through that whole movie and all, I didn't get any Luke Skywalker. Yeah. When, when did they build the death star again? I thought they blew that up in return of the Jedi. Yeah. I thought Darth Vader died. Yeah. <laughs> um, but is that Ray's mom? <laughs> I do think. Um, I think though, Star Wars Celebration um, in Orlando. I think it's in April. That will be all about Episode Eight, um, and I think you'll get the big trailers then. So, uh, title release. You think it's coming yeah? Up I think or? you'll get um, title release. I think you would get it at Star Wars Celebration. That'd probably be the big reveal along with the trailer. I think so. you'll get it before. So we'll see. We I'm shall trying to see. use the Force Awakens as a guide, and you know, obviously that time is because it was this time last, this time two years ago that they started revealing the title and um, and the first teaser trailer. So um, I kind of hope they do. Um, you know, just because I'm interested to see what's going on and you know what what. Rain Johnson has up his sleeve. Well, good deal, man. I got some interesting indeed. We can end on this if you'd like. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. 
Very interesting. Oh, interesting. This should be interesting. Interesting indeed. 12 Star Wars secrets learned from the new O2 exhibition. So the O2 exhibition is, um, well, let's just read it. This week, the Star Wars Identities exhibition opens at the O2 Arena. So that's what the O2 is. Um, but it's actually from the Star Wars Identities exhibition. Let's see. Along with hundreds of props, costume, models, and artworks you would expect from a show put on by the Lucas Museum of Narrative Art and sourced directly from the archives of George Lucas's legendary Skywalker Ranch, it also offers an exploration of what it means to develop a personal identity from genetics and environment to upbringing and blind chance. The exhibition features an interactive element allowing you to build your own Star Wars identity, be it a Jedi Knight or a space farmer. And hidden among the many exhibits are some fascinating facts from the galaxy far, far away. So this is by Hugh Armitage, who went to the exhibit. And these are some uh, interesting secrets that he found out. So it says... Number one, Luke could have been a woman. Um, says the original Star Wars famously features a completely different cast and narrative from what would eventually become A New Hope. And somewhere in between those two poles, between drafts two and three to be specific, Luke was nearly replaced with a female character. Eventually, Luke remained, as did his intended replacement, who became Leia. And 38 years later, we got a bona fide female Star Wars lead in the form of Daisy Ridley's Rey. So what do you think about that? Interesting. They weren't ready. At they the were time. not. The world was not ready for a female lead in Star we're Wars. Apparently, now. yeah. Apparently, we are. Um, Yoda could have looked. This is number two. Yoda could have looked like a garden gnome. The concept design for Yoda speaks for itself. Um, and you'd have to see the picture. But the fi- the final I've seen des- the picture. I know have it looks like a yeah. creepy guy. The final design for the Jedi Master was only unveiled to the cast when they began shooting the Dagobah scenes for The Empire Strikes Back. Next, number three, no one knows if Leia and Luke were always supposed to be twins. Says the label for one of the displayed early design sketches of the Skywalker twins together points out the similarities in the pair's appearance, saying that it suggests they were always meant to be related, which suggests that even the staff at Skywalker Ranch haven't gotten to the bottom of that mystery. Number four, there was a props apocalypse after the first film, uh, which I've heard this too, but Star Wars has been synonymous with an almost uncontrollable need to collect for such a long time that it's surprising to learn how many props and costumes from the original trilogy no longer exist. From the Moss Eisley cantina scene, the mask of Panda Baba, the alien who loses an arm to Obi-Wan's lightsaber, uh, is one of the few remaining artifacts, and Jabba's eyes are one of the only remaining parts of the villain's huge puppet body. Um, the C-3PO costume was no fun for Anthony Daniels. I don't think we have to read that. I think everybody knows that. Alec Guinness didn't hate Star Wars as much as you thought, which I always used to hear that Alec Guinness hated the fact that he did Star Wars. Um, right. says, classically trained Brit Alec Guinness was famously unimpressed with George Lucas's vision, calling it fairy tale rubbish with rubbish dialogue, and he thought his co-star's name was Tennyson Ford too. But it seems that his experience wasn't ultimately as terrible as we've been led to believe, as Guinness was 
Apparently disappointed that Obi-Wan Kenobi died in A New Hope, prompting Lucas to include his Force Ghost in The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Number seven, that's Miss Emperor Palpatine to you. Illustrator Ralph McQuarrie, who produced masses of concept art for Star Wars, played the idea, played with the idea of the Emperor being able to appear to Darth Vader in his medita- meditation chamber in various forms, transforming from a beautiful woman at one moment to a terrifying monster the next. Now, that is the first time I ever heard that, and I'm glad I did not go that direction. Yeah, I am too. So... The X-Wing, number eight, the X-Wing was designed with Westerns in mind. So the opening and closing wings of the Rebel fighter ships were partially inspired by the idea that X-Wings were drawing their guns like characters in a Western. Um, Number nine, Star Destroyers kept getting bigger and bigger. The Empire's biggest and baddest starship is one of the most recognizable icons of the original Star Wars trilogy. With a design that French describes as radical when Lucas debuted it in 1977. The Star Destroyer is one of the first things to be seen in A New Hope, but by The Empire Strikes Back, the original model had been replaced with a far more detailed version that was three times larger. Number 10, Adats are the elephants of the Star Wars universe. The designers of the famous Adats that attacked the rebel base on Hoth early in The Empire Strikes Back studied the movement of elephants when working out how the Imperial walkers would move across the snowy landscape. Number 11, Chewbacca backstory. An early idea for The Empire Strikes Back was to explore Chewbacca's past on the Wookiee home planet of Kashyyyk. We don't know if this was before or after the infamous Star Wars holiday special, um, which was set on Kashyyyk. Did you see the Star Wars holiday special? I did not. The newest one? No, I don't believe there's a new one. Shame on you, b Like the old school one? The old school one that uh, is much talked about. I've never seen. I believe you can see it on YouTube. I think, uh, homework assignment, we should we should probably try to watch that. Yeah, um, we should watch it. I, I saw it when I was a kid. My dad had it taped on a VHS. Okay. I don't think I've... Cabinet. I think I've ever seen it. So do you remember it or no? I remember like bits and pieces of it, but I would have yeah. to rewatch it. I just know that everything I've heard, it's supposed to be terrible, but uh, I'll probably have to check it out. Number 12, I thought this was interesting. This is the last one. Rebel visors cover a multitude of sins. Remember what we said about the uncomfortable costumes? The rebel fighter pilots sweated so much that they were given yellow visors to hide their running makeup. And that is why their visors were yellow. Wow, that's interesting. So there you go. The Star Wars identities will be on display in the O2's Brooklyn Bowl from November 18th to September 3rd, 2017. 17. Well, that's a long time. So there you go. Good episode. Who needs Chad anyway, right? Right. <laughs> Chad. Only to read. That's right, Chad. Anyway, no, we, we missed having Chad. Um, hopefully he'll be back on the next episode, episode 21. I think this is going to wrap up episode 20. We appreciate you listening to us. Uh, check us out on Twitter, at Star Wars Rant, on Facebook, um, our Star Wars Rant page. Uh, and uh, like it, love it, do whatever you want Share with it. it. Share it, you know. Um, but anyway, check us out. Thanks for listening. Come back next week. Episode 21. Me, B-Nob. Maybe, maybe not, Chad. 
And uh, other than that, have a good week. I'll do one more chat. Bye.